0: Hello readers, my name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookend brought to you by Explore Booksellers, Aspen, Colorado's trusted community bookstore. Wherever you are in the world, it is always good to explore. My guest today is Ray Robertson. He is the author of nine novels, five collections of nonfiction, and a book of poetry. His new book is All the Years Combined, The Grateful Dead in 50 Shows, which is published by our friends at Biblioasis. Ray, welcome back to the program.
1: Hey, Jason. Thanks for having me.
0: It is an honor to have you here, Ray. And uh, first, how things been going since the last time we spoke, which was about a year ago, I believe.
1: Yeah, pretty much the same. A lot of writing, a lot of dog walking, trying to uh, grow old gracefully you know all the you know, things uh put, putting this it's been a very dead centric year because um although I started this book about well well when we had spoken I think I started uh, in mm. that time I don't know if we had talked about this then when we talked about the novel uh, Space the Small I've done a couple projects for the Grateful Dead this year mm-hmm. so it's been a really dead I mean I was writing a book on the dead but then kind of simultaneously um I was as honored to Provide the liner notes to uh, some Grateful Dead archival stuff. So it's been a really Dead-centric year. It's been a good year. You
0: know? Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, you did mention that you were working on this the last time. I'm happy to have the uh, the finished product in my hand. Uh, let's dive into this wonderful book. All the years combined. Um, and first, Ray, why a book about the Grateful Dead in this particular format?
1: Yeah, well, that's a, that's a great question because it, it's. I think this is what differentiates it from other books about the dead um doesn't mean it's better but it's different i wanted to talk about the dead musically not sociologically not about its nostalgia act not as classic rock i want to talk about the music mm-hmm. and i wanted to tell the story of the dead through the music not in terms of well in 1983 jerry became a, you know I, I mean that stuff is in there and that's one of the things it is connective tissue there is a narrative to it but the narrative is really musically and i think like any you know they always say if you want to know a subject teach it and i think it's the same thing with writing so I was immersed, you know, I was immersed in the dead. And I thought, um, I had my sweet spot, you know, 71 to 74 or so. And then I started listening to different eras more. And I saw that the, the music changed and the times changed and the, the, the economy changed and the music industry changed. And I found it very interesting. I thought, well, there's a story in here, you know, as a novelist. It's not just, this is not 50 greatest hits of the Grateful Dead. This isn't my favorite 50 shows. It's 50 shows that I think talk about them was seven months before they even had a record contract 1966 up into the last show uh, in uh, august or july of 95 so i kind of just wanted to i guess like anything you write to sort of figure things out for yourself so and -hmm. i was also really interested in the idea of um how success can be damaging you know as the dead got bigger um i don't think the music got better not necessarily related but yeah. There's something, there, 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 I think a big part of why I'm really a deadhead is, it, of course, the music and Garcia's guitar, but also just their integrity and their ethic. And, and they really did try for a long time to, to first, when they could separate themselves from the mainstream, they did so. And then when they were kind of flirting with it and enveloped by it, they still tried to maintain all of the values that were so important, the sort of neo-beatnik values, which, 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 which would resonate with me. And I, and I think they failed. But we all fail every every biography is messy at the end, but mm. I think they're quite quite inspirational and to me and not I'm not a musician, but they're inspirational in terms of how I live my life. so I wanted to write the book that way you know i I wanted to you know it's it's about music, but it's about the music as the music tells the story of the dead, and I think of the music industry, you know where we are now with big football stadiums and expensive mm. tickets and blah blah blah
0: yeah, yeah um. And speaking of, uh, of life, Ray, how is a Grateful Dead concert like life?
1: It's like every day. There's good parts, there's bad parts, there's boring parts, there's exciting parts. And if you're lucky, some days, it's almost, they're transcendental parts. Um, and that's what separates the dead, I think, from a lot of other quote-unquote rock bands, is that they're not attempting, well, they, at their peak, they weren't attempting to entertain, they were trying to get themselves off and have a have a concert experience that would be like a religious ceremony almost which doesn't always work you know when you go without a roadmap that means sometimes you get lost but sometimes the most interesting things are when you go off the so for example you know there, there, there's a period there when i write about say 72 to 74 i mean these shows are all impeccable we have our tastes or whatever but but say say by 78 well maybe there is a bit of really kind of roughness in the first set, maybe some rushed rhythms, maybe too much nose candy, blah, blah, blah. And then out of nowhere, three quarters of the way through the set, there's this moment where you're no longer on planet Earth. And that's the way I think it's like life. I think it's it's not entertainment. It's not like you come to our show tonight and see the Eagles and you'll hear the songs exactly like you did in concert and you'll have a wonderful time. This is initially, you know, the epigraph that I use in the book is from, uh, for for the concerts rather, is from Bob Weir from a, a show, February 13th. 1970 when he says this ain't a concert it's a party i thought that was a really good metaphor you know it it, for a long time it was it was a bunch of like-minded people getting together to see what will happen you know and that comes out of the acid tests and all that and and i just think that's incredibly inspiring and uh and and, and worthy of paying attention to especially in the ages that we live in where it is you know it's been co-opted as entertainment you know Uh, it's it's just something different
0: yeah absolutely uh thank you ray and um Earlier, you had you spoke about the music industry today and football stadiums, et cetera. Um, you write that the band, the Grateful Dead, um, wore to their gigs what they wore to a grocery store, and how is this different from say Taylor Swift or Beyonce or the Rolling Stones? I mean, yeah, you know you, you can put on your performing clothes, which
1: again is great. You know I would have loved to have seen the Stones in seventy two when they were touring exile. That would have been amazing, uh-huh. but. It's not, um, I think it's doing, I think retrospect now, you know, we're talking 50 years later, we think of all these bands as classic rock bands. Well, the, the Dead weren't really on the radio, a little bit of music from Working Man's Dead and American Beauty, and of course, later on with Touch of Grey, but for mm-hmm. a long period they were on the radio, they didn't sell a lot of records, it was word of mouth, it was very organic, it was like, it was the ecosystem was, was very pure, it was like somebody usually turned you on to it and said, hey, you should check this out, you should come check this out, which is you know, kind of like a midlist writer like me, guys. You don't get like the, the big, you know, big spread in the New Yorker. You get one person who says, "Hey, have you heard of this person?" No, not really. Oh, check it out. And mm-hmm. I think that 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 has a lot of appeal. Um, and so, geez, I forget what the question was. It wasn't about. Uh, oh, about the oh yeah right. Well, I. I yeah, the emphasis to get again was just on the music. It wasn't just what they wore to their gigs, what they wore at the grocery store. They also didn't do any between song stuff like, hey, how's everybody doing tonight? Ready to rock? You know, there was none of that. They took their cues from the jazz musicians, which was, we're here to sort of get someplace and we'd love for you to come with us. Man. And maybe you can impact the way it comes with this by reacting. It's very symbiotic, but it's not, we're up here, you're down there, pay your 250 bucks, buy the t shirt, take lots of selfies, and have an experience. I, I think initially, the the way that they were with one with their audience, and it doesn't mean you agree with everybody. Everybody's the same, you know. It's, but it, it it was this sense that we're on this 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 journey or this experiment together. Uh, it wasn't a, it wasn't a thing where you dress up to be seen. It was sort of you know uh, you take your drugs, you, you wear some little speedy clothing, and uh, you know hopefully you find God by the end of the set. You know even even if you have to endure you know El Paso up to the ten thousand <laughs> times. <you know? laughs>
0: Right, right, Ron. Right. Um, hey, I'm a fan of El Paso. Um, how, yeah, right, um, how does Bob Weir's approach to guitar differ from Jerry Garcia's, both in the band's beginning stages and later on in their careers?
1: Wow, that's a real musical question. I'm lucky I've got a couple of musician friends who helped me disentangle this. Um, mm-hmm. Well, obviously, the simplest level: Garcia's lead guitar player and Weir's rhythm guitar player initially. Uh, you know, when when, in their first band, weird, even play guitar, he played the jug, you know, and they had a jug band, he blew in the jug. Mm -hmm. And he was he took guitar lessons from Garcia, he was a kid, and so his guitar playing early on was a huge cause of consternation for, for both Garcia and Lesh, who were who were exponentially just growing as artists and listening to a lot of jazz and wanting to go to the outer reaches. And here's weird clunka clunka clunking along like a folk guitar player. Mm-hmm. So there's the famous story where they go to kick him and Pigpen out of the band and nothing happens. It's very dead. Very dead. It's like, um, they, they, they just sort of came back and it was back because you can't kick anybody of the dead. It's like, you know, they're the dead. Yeah. but late, later on to me we're and i was actually talking to dave lemieux about this the the dead legacy manager because he he obviously listens to everything and really closely much more than me he's a dead scholar mm-hmm. and i was just saying how initially of course it was garcia i had the headphones on and you follow him like you would coltrane or miles davis or somebody mm-hmm. but every once in a while you know i would i would get caught up in phil lesh because he is the felonious monk of the base he doesn't even play he doesn't play you know bass player you play repetition there's no repetition He puts little daubs of color here and there. just fantastic but eventually, I kind of got around to listening to Weir. And mm-hmm. what a fascinating rhythm guitar player he turned into. I mean, you're a guitar player, right? So you'd know this better yeah. than me. But, but for me, it, it helped when he said, when Weir said somewhere, that he felt like he was McCoy Tyner on piano to, to Garcia's Coltrane. He was there to answer his, his playing, to take him different places. So sometimes, if you're listening on a good set of headphones, we will just be making these little patterns and little connections and sometimes responding. And it's a really, really, really interesting scenario because I have, I have a friend who just really dislikes the dad. He's a real knowledgeable music fan. Mm-hmm. And I think I opened his eyes and I said, it's OK, man. I know they're not a good rock and roll band. They're not that. There's, you've got Garcia, Lesh. and we are playing three different things at the same time, right? You've got mm-hmm. a bass player who refuses to hold down the bottom, right? It's, and I think that's what Weir brings to it. It's like, it's, it's a it's a sensory treat. It's an auditory treat. Sure, you're following Garcia, you know, floating the cosmos. But then Lesh isn't going to have any of this. I'm going to be subservient on the bottom. I'm going to go off too. And then, and then Weir's off in his own little world doing his own little thing. And so I find him, it's ironic that, you know, they go to kick him out of the band. And eventually he is to me, I don't really know any other rhythm guitar player who plays like him. I guess with the bass, you could say Jack Cassidy did and some of the jazz. But for less, you have to think of jazz players. But but for Weir, I think he's so self-taught, so inbred self-taught, he's created a new... We talk about that with writers, right? Like you build your strengths out of your limitations, you know? Um, and I think Weir did that. He sort of made up his own style. And again, one more reason why normally sane people can listen to 85 different versions of Eyes of the World because each time Weir will say, no, I feel like go a little Spanish here or a little this, 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 and this. And I think that's why, you know, it seems crazy to some people. Like, why would you need to listen to all these shows? Because they're all played so differently, depending on the night, depending on the year, depending on, you know, all sorts of things like that. So it's endlessly refreshing and and uh, and, and enrapturing, really.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Ray. Um, and speaking of Phil Lesh, was he always uh, kind of a, cantankerous guy
1: i don't know him personally i think uh jerry called him high german yeah. <laughs> they always had euphemisms you couldn't put down your your family members. phil is very high german but think about this like this guy like when he joins the band when garcia asked him to join the band he didn't play bass He's like, mm. well man I, I don't play bass. Oh, i can teach on a weekend what i like is you understand music you know like that is <laughs> far as very punk, you know, it's like you don't have to I don't play the instrument, you got the attitude for it. And I think Lesh, um it was hard for him in a way, I'd imagine I mean he's very diplomatic. They all are very careful not to tell tales out of school. But mm-hmm. I think that he he really enjoyed going to the atmosphere you know going to the cosmos, going into space, the jamming part of it. I don't think he was into so much the song part of that as much. And so I think that he kind of was a little um kind of cantankerous but I think he had his attitude toward it and and I don't disagree with him. I think that, you know, the dead at one point could have been weather report with songs, you know, even better as opposed to sort of the direction that they went in sort of the more, more mainstream direction. And so I have a huge amount of respect for Lesh, not only because he's the first, I mean, Lesh is such an interesting bass player. I've gotten sort of more into jazz the last few years, a lot lot of it because of listening to the dead. And I listen to a lot of jazz players and, they're just i may because Alesh too is self-taught. Mm-hmm. There's just really no one who sounds like him. Like I say, like the Thelonious Monk deal. He, excuse me. He he, mm-hmm. he daubs color little places, and you know, so, which means you can't you know pat you know, tap your foot like you would in normal music because the beats all over the place. So whatever whatever fills up to personally, I have the hugest amount of respect and. Uh, and his 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 autobiography, but you know autobiographies by memoirs by rock people are usually pretty poorly written. His is pretty good, actually. Searching for the Sound, it gives you a sense of who he is, which is a very, very bright guy, very anomalous for music. I mean, you look at him; he looks like a science, like a grade twelve science teacher, you know, with a naughty twinkle in his eye. <laughs> I yeah. just, I just, I just think the world of Phil Lesh is a musician.
0: Yeah, absolutely, very well read guy too. And I managed to oh. store in San Francisco. He was there all the time. Uh, oh wow. Which oh good.
1: really? Yeah, yeah, for wow, sure. Wow, very
0: cool. Yeah. Well, thank you, Ray. Um, listeners, we're gonna pause here for a word from our sponsors, and I will be right back with Ray Robertson. The Book and Podcast would like to thank Libro.fm Audiobooks for their sponsorship. Libro.fm has the same audiobooks at the same prices as their major competitor. You know the name. Instead of supporting the Big River, you'll be supporting your favorite neighborhood bookstores. Please head on over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore. Explore booksellers in the process. I'm back with Ray Robertson, author of All the Years Combined, The Grateful Dead in 50 Shows, which is published by our friends at Biblioasis. Before the break, uh, we were talking about Phil Lesh, and to be fair, um, I met Phil and his wife Jill in San Francisco a couple of lifetimes ago, and and Jill was great, and she gave me backstage passes to the Phil and Friends oh. show with Humphries McGee at the Bill Graham Auditorium, and um, Yeah, it was a a really good experience. So, uh, you know, Phil's Phil, but I I enjoyed that. And and it was all because of their generosity. Um, Ray, I want to ask you about your line referencing, quote, well-meaning tribute bands, unquote. Uh, It seems like you were including Dead and Company in this designation, uh, presumably also Phil and Friends. Uh, First, what do you think about Dead & Company. Is this still a Grateful Dead experience in your mind? And what of bands like uh, Dark Star Orchestra or even the Fare Thee Well concerts that featured Phil and, and Trey Anastasio and Bruce Hornsby and others?
1: Right. Well, I, I was hoping that I could have that nice, quiet euphemism there and no one would ever ask me about it, but you've done it. Yeah. So, yeah, here we are. <laughs> yeah, I had a couple people emailing my website who had read my stuff and asked me, Look, I, I, uh, the, the Toronto launch, not that I'm thinking anybody in your listenership is going to come, but my Toronto launch for this book is December 9th. Um, and we've got an amazing tribute band called Whose Cat is Dead, who are really good. They've got a couple of jazz students in the band. They're a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And, and they're going to play. And it's going to be a great. So, and, and I understand that entirely. And when you go to these shows, and I'm sure you've experienced it, I think the primary appeal is more, I won't say the non-musical, but it's the... It's the, the communal element you know You're, there really is a nice vibe it's different than going to see a neil young show or a bruce Springsteen show or a, you know kate bush show and they're very different um in the sense that there is that sense of community um musically though um i have to go with bill Kurtzman, who said that the grateful dead without jerry garcia is like the miles davis quintet without miles davis mm-hmm. um, not to denigrate the others i mean I, I love the stuff that weird does with the wolf brothers and stuff i think it's a hoop i think it's, it's great it's too expensive for me to go see but Mm-hmm. i really enjoy it but to me someone who really did the impetus was really garcia's guitar and i wasn't a guitar guy i always thought of guitar solos it's kind of you know wankery and stuff but i had that thunderbolt and i and i kind of heard what other people would talk about with like well the way garcia talked about coltrane he said well when i heard him it sounded like he spoke in paragraphs and so he didn't imitate any coltrane's licks he just thought wow you can it, it isn't ornamentation. It isn't soloing as is ornamentation. It's, it's soloing as exploratory. Um, so for me, w- when you don't have Garcia um, and A and B, and you don't have that potential for a train wreck, which I think is very important, and I don't think any of the bands that you mentioned—they they probably put on really—they they all put on really good shows and they're enjoyable and everybody's a good time. But mm-hmm. there isn't that sense of, you know, one of the shows in here—I forget some '73. Uh, Nassau Coliseum somewhere, and they're they're getting to a typical nineteen seventy three other one. So you know it's going to be 20-25 minutes of deep space travel. So they're about seven minutes into it,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and they're in that deep, you know, do do do, and then out of nowhere, this light lilting sound of Garcia strumming the first chords to uh, Eyes of the World, do 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 the, g- the samba like, and I and that to me just gives me goosebumps. I'm just telling you right now, just talking to you right now about here we are in the middle of this, not in the middle, we're in the first third of this song. No, I don't want to play that anymore. I feel like playing something lighter. A new song that I just, you know, to me, that's just wonderfully amateurish. And I think that's all great art has at its core. That kind of, you know, this, this isn't a concert. This isn't a professional presentation. This isn't entertainment. This is Garcia is trying not to be bored. He's trying to have a good time. He's trying to get off. And if you're willing to go with them, I think that's the most exciting kind of art. So, yeah, like I say, I've got a show coming. Uh, uh, a great band, whose cat is dead, is playing at my Toronto launch, and it's going to be great. But, but I think it's more the vibe that's that's that, that, that I think people pick up on, um, as well as the idea. And here I'm going to get people upset, but there's a lot of nostalgia, you know the the uh, you know the Tesla and tie dye crew. You know, it's it's uh, it's fine. There's worse things, you know. They could be out camping for Trump. It could be worse. You know, they're good people. It's wonderful, but yeah. I don't think it has a lot to do with art and I guess I'm kind of a snob that way in the sense that um I would rather put on the headphones and travel back to, you know, May fourteenth, nineteen seventy four and then hear a show like that as opposed to it's something different. I think it's more social. I just don't think it's it's not so much aesthetic as it is social. And and that's great. It's wonderful. But for me, um I find everything that Weir did outside of getting the company much more interesting. It's solo stuff, even even Rat Dog, even which I wasn't a huge fan of but I like like the attitude, you know, we don't have a guitar player. We got a sax player. I love the stuff with the Wolf Brothers. I like the way that he slowed down and, and so on. But yeah, I I just you know, and I just I just can't handle seeing John Mayer sing. <laughs> it's,
0: it's, it's just you know, yeah, it's,
1: call me a hater, but uh, <laughs> it's just who I am. You
0: yeah, know. you know, I warmed I warmed up to to John Mayer right at the end, but for years I was like, why did they do <laughs> this? Like, out of all the guitar players, a wonderful
1: guy, and he loves the music. Yeah. I just. uh uh, yeah. When you're when you're when you when you're recreating something that already happened, I think you're one step removed from art, you know, which is fine. Again, there's mm-hmm. lots of good things that aren't art. But yeah. uh, f- for me, music is one of those things like I can't listen to music before I go to bed or I'll get too worked up. You know, <laughs> I have to be unless I'm having some, you know, some chemicals where there's like I really music to me is close to magic. And I don't like to fool around with it that much unless, you know, you're in the car and, you know, you put the serious radio on. Hey, great Tom Petty tune, turn it on or great mm. uh supreme song which is great i love that but in terms of full-on um yeah i would rather listen to a alice coltrane reissue than go see you know dead star orchestra who i like too i mean they're great they're fantastic
0: yeah yeah for sure yeah,
1: I, I, I love it you know but uh, so it's, yeah. it's a different it's, it's, it's apples and oranges i think it's you know it's it's just a different thing
0: yeah, for sure, and I should have mentioned uh, Jazz is Dead, also, which features one of my favorite drummers, Billy Cobham. Oh and- my
1: god, yes, that's yeah. that's probably one of my favorite Dead, whatever you want to call them, tributes, or Because they do some, they take it and do something else with it.
0: Yeah, yeah, which uh, I
1: think, which, which I think is the ask. Because I think Garcia is the conscience of the band. I think that would appeal to them, as opposed to why are you playing our songs the same way that we played them? Like, what, what? Okay, I see it, but whatever. But in terms of like taking it and doing something else with it, mm-hmm. I think that's really cool. Really cool, and very dead like you know, very 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 dead like in their in their treatment of
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely, and I, I agree with what you're saying with, about Bob Weir. Um, I saw him do a solo show on uh, this touring festival, oh wow, years ago called the Americana Rama Festival, where it was um it was Bob Weir and then it was Wilco and then my morning jacket and then Bob Dylan, and then oh, of course wow. they all played together and it was
1: yeah, uh, and so did Weir play by himself?
0: He did, yeah, it was just him. Wow. Yep. Yeah, it was fantastic. And he, he sat in with all the other bands, too. Yeah, um, yeah well, um, Ray, how important was the Grateful Dead's decision pretty much from the beginning uh, of their tenure as a band to record all of their shows?
1: Oh, wow. Well, I mean, you you, you read the previous book, um, um, what was it called? A stage large and Small. And mm-hmm. you know how important that is to the book in terms of sort of the quote-unquote philosophical aspect of it. There's mm-hmm. something to me quite mystical about it. They did this for completely utilitarian reasons. Owsley recorded them because he wanted to make sure his mixes were okay and the band said, Hey, you know, they were young and full of and vinegar. So after the show, what do you do? You go back to the hotel room and listen to the show, you know. So it had but after a while, I think, you know, by seventy one or so, I don't think that was important. Mm-hmm. But they kept recording and to me it 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 really kind of bleeds into almost the mystical. Um these shows weren't supposed to be heard by us. They were supposed to disappear in the ether when the last notes were played in 1972 with Brussels. Mm -hmm. But instead, here we have them in pretty decent quality Mm -hmm. and we can re-inhabit that world. And not just the songs, but like the places where, you know, they're in the middle of a dark star and and Weir is trying to get them into El Paso or me and my uncle and Garcia is resisting he wants to stay in space. You can hear them kind of fight it out. I mean, that's very that's more real to me today than the conversation I had when I went to the hardware store this morning to buy some mouse traps. I mean, it was a perfectly fine encounter. But it wasn't existentially real like it is when I'm listening to that and hearing these two different uh places there they're at and and uh, musically and the way they come together. So the the, the dead's recording of all these shows, obviously in retrospect it was a sound financial decision and all that. Yeah. But it wasn't it wasn't for that reason and what we have is well like i said the introduction the sense you can actually listen to the show starting when they are an r&b based kind of stonesy cover band all the way through that evolution to where when after keith joins in the jazzy direction and that kind of harder more not quite metallic but by 78 it's a harsher sound all fascinating we have access to all that and that's kind of what i did a lot during the, the pandemic lockdown was uh, I was writing this book, but also, you know, there's nothing else to do. So I, 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 I really found it fascinating to hear how the band changed throughout the years. And so, and you can hear also things like how Garcia, you know, you very conspicuous he never spoke from the stage. What he did early on when he's playing for 1200 people, all who kind of look like him and they all live in the neighborhood. Um, he was not garrulous, but he, he did talk to the audience and as the places get bigger and bigger and bigger, he doesn't. And that, that's, that's not coincidental, you know, and that's very interesting. You know, it's not a beatnik virtue to say, hey, everybody, how's everybody at a party tonight? have to God? It's more like I can't talk to you if I can't see you. Mm. If I'm up on this enormous stage and you're down there, you know, he felt, I felt like an imposter. He felt, I felt like a dictator up there with this microphone telling people, you know, so he didn't really speak. Occasionally his solo shows, which of course were in theaters and clubs, he'll say, okay, we, we'll get back after the break. Thanks a lot. But you know, that's kind of it. So I think having all those shows is such an enormous, I mean, if you're into the dead, you really are, you found the right band to spend your life with because it's just, well, it's not infinite, but there are just so many places you can go so many different eras and it's all because they recorded these shows and put it, stuck them in the vault, you know? So it's, it's uh it's it's a it's a real it's a real treasure trove. If you're if you're if you're if you're in the dead, you're really set for a whole lifetime listen, a a of listening. Real.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have talked about pretty much every member, uh, every core member of the band, except for for Mickey Hart. Uh, how did Mickey Hart join the band? Did they intend for him to be a permanent member?
1: In perfect Grateful Dead fashion. Ran into Kritzman, and they went to a Count Basie orchestra show because what wonderfully eclectic times. You know, Bill Graham would have, you know, Edgar Winner and Count Basie on the mm-hmm. bill, and they were both were drummers, and they both spent the rest of the night walking around San Francisco with their drumsticks hitting on cans and cars and things. Mm-hmm. And then Kritzman says, yeah, you should sit in with us. You know, there was no talk of having an extra drummer, or this would be a polyphonic approach to Pricking no, Up. So you should come hang out with us. I mean to me it's very similar to how, you know, similar, very dead like and this is one of the things that's nice in the book too. It is about the music, but there is this human element to it. I mean, I write about how when how Keith joined the band. Literally, his wife said, Well, let's go down to one of Garcia's shows and ask him if you can join the band. <laughs> can you imagine that today? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just absurd. It can only happen to the dead. And 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 who else but Garcia, when she says this to him, says uh yeah why don't you come backstage and we'll talk you know it was just it's just absurd and I love that Garcia says somewhere and I think it's in that that document the, the documentary the four-hour documentary it's wonderful mm-hmm. things uh Alan Twist or somebody who worked a longtime long friend of Garcia and he worked in the publishing and stuff and he'd always have these plans for things to do and stuff yeah and Garcia said said to him at one time he said that's all fine but don't try to do anything with the Grateful Dead <laughs> It, it just it just it happens. It grows, which has its downside, right? You build up mm-hmm. a lot of passive aggressive. There's a lot of you know. But there's again very, and I use the word amateur in the in the most laudatory way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: This this isn't a career for us. This is a journey, and you know, to me, Keith and to a lesser degree Donna. I mean, Keith and Donna are my favorite. That's my favorite era, and mm-hmm. it only happens because. Keith, who's not a rock and roll guy, who was a classical guy who played a little jazz, you know, plays some pop for, you know, in town, make a few bucks, said, you know, I'm bored, honey. Well, let's go down and let's see if we can get you in the band. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, it's kind of like Mickey Hart, just, you know, um, this is Mickey. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. You know, and Garcia's like, yeah, I like that. That's, that's interesting. The two. Okay. Yeah, that's cool too. And again, think of our culture was so utilitarian so market driven and so, you know yeah. even the, the smallest book or smallest cd you have to have a marketing meeting you know will people like this will fuck people like it this is what we like if you like it come with us that's great you're part of our tribe but if you don't well then you can go you know you can go see sean and they're here next week you know that's cool too um which i love i mean i love it i think there's too much there's too much respect given to the audience <laughs> <laughs> it's just, <laughs> The, the emphasis, because if the writer or the musician's not having a great time, if they're not trying to save their life, I don't think it's a book work, worth work reading or music worth listening to. And I don't mean like they're depressed or something, but I mean like um, a book that needs to be written, songs that need to be written. They may not be good even, but they come out of a place of, uh, well, integrity, obviously, but urgency. And I think you can tell that when you get, you know, certain musicians or writers... You love their work, and as time goes on, they're kind of coasting because they're really good at what they do. They're very professional, and life's too short for things that are just professional. I need something that's – like when I hear Garcia play, one of the things that really helped me as a non-jazz guy who got into it through Garcia's guitar was his guitar is restless. Like he he doesn't like to be bored. If he's going someplace and you think, okay, I know he's going to go now, he stops doing that and does something else because it's his two and a half hours or three, three and a half hours a day that things make sense to him. Art. And I I just just think that's great. So it, it's hand in hand with how Mickey Hart joined the band or Keith and Donna joined the band. Um, and I just think that again, that that's something we need to really hold close because the world is not like that. And I think it's a better world when it is like that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, um, a few quick responses to that answer before we move on. First, in two hundred seventy episodes of this podcast, that was definitely the first mention of a Sha Na so thank you for that. And um, you know, the irony about the marketing type of things happening uh in the current um climate in the record industry that you're mentioning the irony being that nobody's making money off of records anymore. Thanks. So the fact that everyone's having these directed kind of marketing meetings when it takes, I think 800 streams on Spotify to make a dollar. is kind of,
1: right. Hey. You know, it's funny. And I haven't, I, I shouldn't speak out a turn here. I should probably go check it out again. I remember ages ago, like five years ago, I, did, I saw an interview with Bill Graham in the eighties, like late eighties. And they're asking him of, or not late. He died, but, mid 80s or whatever it was mm. about the industry and he was he was saying how big it was and how it wasn't the same and he just sort of st- you know scratched his head and said well i i don't know how it can change it's not going to get smaller well yeah. what's happened with it, with this economic collapse is it, it has gotten smaller you know i enjoy going down to uh a couple bars in my neighborhood and there's a couple guys who play uh, called stag and bellings they have been kind of a roots rock they got you know a four song ep that you know they're going to make four dollars on but mm-hmm. there's 35, 40 people there. Everybody is there for the same reason. We like this music that the world doesn't particularly care about anymore. It's dying off. It's become vaudeville. Mm-hmm. And there's a real sense, I don't like to use old words, the word community, but there is this sense that because things have to be small now to survive, well, there, there, there's a virtue in that. You know, I feel bad for young musicians. You know, But at the, at the same time, when you get that right vibe in the right room, it kind of feels like an us and them, like you know what? Yeah, we are right. This is good music. These things do matter. And sure, there's only forty of us here, and we'll pass the hat and you know, buy mm-hmm. the musicians and drinkers. And 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 I kind of I, I'm try I'm not really a glass half full kind of guy, but that is kind of how I see the way that, like you say, there's really there's really no financial incentive anymore, uh, mm-hmm. unless you are one of these big corporate you know things where they market you that way or whatever, which. There are some really talented people, but when, it's kind of like anything, you know, Powered for Upset. Once you're sort of in there, it's hard to change and be what you were before. And so maybe there's a virtue in not being on the world's red. It's like the Emily Dickinson poem, you know, like, who are you? I am no one. You're like me. You know, it's like, we're not like them. We're not We're not somebody. We're just kind of off on our own, existing in the universe, observing the dream as it passes by. And, oh, she likes it and he likes it. And she's like, oh, OK, well, we'll hang out together. I don't know. I, I, there's so, there's something encouraging and kind of uh, kind of warm about
0: that. Yeah, absolutely. And um, listeners, if any of you out there are uh, musicians, um, as Ray said, can you imagine that today going up to Jerry Garcia and asking to join the band? I would encourage uh, you guys to yes, please do imagine that. I think you know don't be uh, shy. <laughs>
1: You have about six, six big burly men between you and them. You know, <laughs> hey, you
0: uh, never know though. You never know, you yeah, know.
1: Never I, know, but and, and, but like where they went, I think it was the Keystone yeah. or it was, I don't know. It was somewhere in San Francisco, but mm-hmm. literally it was a club. It was a hundred people, you know, yeah. and, and, and that to me, I mean, I'm sure you've heard a lot of stuff recorded, mm-hmm. the matrix, and the Keystone, and you forget this is a club. This is a Tuesday night. Everyone's, you know, drinking their beer and you can hear someone drop a glass. I mean, it's so far from classic rock, you know, it was just Garcia on his off nights deciding, well, I'll play some jazz funk. Oh, no, next week I'll play some bluegrass or I'll play this, you know. It really mm-hmm. wasn't, again, what a wonderful role model in many ways. Um, it wasn't about how does this further my career. It's when I'm off the road with my day job, I want to play more music, different kinds of music. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just, that's kind of a recipe for 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 happiness in a sense you're not pursuing some object in the distance that one day you will get and be happy it's the thing that you're doing that makes you happy you know know, and and it's it's the same thing with a book every time you write a book you think oh people are gonna some people are gonna get this yeah it does it doesn't the real joy was that you know last wednesday night world made sense for three hours where i made those two paragraphs which didn't work together put together and now they make sense and um yeah
0: yeah, well, um, yeah, listeners, don't don't make yourself an annoyance to the bands that you like, but you also you you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take is a cliche, but um, that is true. That's yeah, true. for sure.
1: I think Bowser, and Sean, and I said that,
0: didn't he? <laughs> there you go. Um, well, Ray, um, you have to pick one show to uh, turn listeners on to. What is that show?
1: Wow. Well, that that would imply that I'm looking through the book here while I talk to you. Uh, that would imply would be for my kind of favorite period. Yeah. Which is 71 to 74, mm-hmm. you know, the, the um, the i five fourteen seventy four uh, and and University of Montana, it's the bonus track in the book, it's actually the 51st show. Mm-hmm. And I love that show because it's a real, and that's why it's it's I had a bonus, I didn't plan on putting a bonus track, and I ended the show or ended the book with the last show, the mm-hmm. show in July. That you know, and it's not a real happy musical scene, and it's it's a really poignant scene, it's very emotional. I'm sure you've seen the video of Garcia singing "Black Muddy Rooms." It's very, <laughs> very dark, very dark stuff. And so I kind of didn't want to end there. I wanted to end, so I had this bonus track, which is the five fourteen seventy-four show in Montana, because not only is it a typical great seventy-four show, with an amazing dark star. It's got short songs. It's got long songs. It's got country songs. It's got rock songs. It's got faux reggae. It's got it's got the whole thing. But also, it's the period where. They've started their own record label. They've got a label for their own individual products. They're doing all, all their, t- their ticketing in-house. And it, it doesn't work. It all kind of falls apart. But it really is that peak that, you know, we're going to exist in America and be grown-ups and have, you know, we have kids now. we got mortgages and they need braces and blah, blah, blah. But we're going to keep being the real deal. And I, I kind of ended it at that because I wanted the reader to end with the idea that, you know, every every – you know every biography doesn't end real well because they end with death and you know dissolution and decay. Yeah. But that period to me, five fourteen seventy four is a great show because they're full of energy, they're full of life. They're they they think they're in control. Of their death. They're not going to be reliant on the corporate system. You know they leave Warner Brothers, start their own record label for various reasons. It doesn't work. But you know I, I I don't expect things to work. But I I, I really like the idea of someone trying to. Live life with integrity and meaning and, and and joy, and even if they fail, I think the attempt is quite heroic. So five fourteen seventy four is a great show, and it was Diggs picks number five. So there you
0: go. Nice, excellent. Um, I'm partial to September twenty seventh, nineteen seventy two, which is the first uh, recording I ever listened to, and I got it immediately. And um, where's that? Uh, it was in Nassau Coliseum. It's Dick's Picks number eleven. Um,
1: oh, wait, wait, what's the date again?
0: Uh, it is September 27th, 1972.
1: September, I'm flipping through my book here. I didn't write it, but okay, I interrupted. Yes, no, there's so you, many great shows that that's something, like, yeah, yeah, that's such wrote, a great period.
0: It is, yeah, of you wrote about shows that kind period. of sandwich, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
1: yeah, but, right, 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 yeah, that is such a great period. I mean, that's that, that was my only problem when I was writing about 72. is I said, you know, the problem with perfection is it gets kind of boring in the sense that every you know, every every all the slow, all the short songs are poppy. All the ballads are beautiful. All the space are thirty-five minutes. They're mm-hmm. young. They're full of energy. You know, they're they're old enough to be like fairly um, set in their not set, but they they found their singular styles. You know, weird is weird, lash is left. But yet they're young enough to say, hey, this is fun. Let's play for another forty minutes. It's not a job yet, mm-hmm. and that's that 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 that's um that, that's a challenge that every. Artists have to, anybody at their job, actually. I mean, you know, you get you thrilled, but then after a while, it becomes, how do you keep it from just being, how do you keep it a vocation as well as an occupation? And by 72, like when you're talking about that first show, I mean, you must, yeah, it's just, it's just kaleidoscopic. There's just so much energy and color, yeah. you know, and so many different places you can go. Like I wasn't a jazz guy. I got into the dead, when I started listening to the dead, after I got into Garcia, it was the first sets that were more attractive to me, you know, the, the more of the country rock, all, all country, whatever, and mm. then they get a little more ambitious and then you get a little more in the second set. It's like, Oh no, a drum solo. Ah, okay. Mm. That's okay too. Cause out of that comes the other one. And it's almost like, it's like a gate the dead, The dead have so many different styles. They can provide these like gateway drugs for you to get into the serious deep second set, half, second set stuff, which is more my cup of tea now, but Oh, that's a great, great period. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and finally Ray, uh, speaking of it's not a job yet. Um, you only have two shows in your book from the 90s and, I believe, three from the 80s. Why is that?
1: Well, I was, I was really hoping you'd ask that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've already gotten some flack from some deadheads for that. <laughs> um, th- this is um, obviously every list you put together is a subjective. Number two, this isn't the 50 greatest shows. I'm telling a story, so like a storyteller. I'm selecting shows that sort of illustrate where they're at. I think musically, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. So number one, I don't listen to a lot after new year's Eve 78. Um, mm-hmm. That to me is sort of the, the show where it kind of culminates. And within two months, the God shoes are the band Brenton, Um And there's a lot of good music, but I find that, those shows, they became a professional rock band at that point, And I just find them musically less interesting. Not that there aren't things during every show in the 80s, for example, or not every show, but a lot of shows where you go, wow, amazing. Even Crutzen says this. He said even when Garcia was totally smacked out, there would be minutes during every show that were, wow, what just happened? But I just find those moments less and less and less. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also am not a big fan of the, the big sound they had that had to fill the stadiums uh one of the big appeals for me about the dead sound and it's 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 peaked to me is that there, there's lots of space in there I don't mean spaciness like jamming I mean like there's lots of space you know it's like the I quote Miles Davis in here when when uh, I think Keith Jarrett said to him when they were doing the kind of around the time of bitches Brew. you know there's so much going on sometimes I don't know what to play mm-hmm. and Miles just says well don't play anything then <laughs> you know? right. like don't mm-hmm. play anything And that's not, that's not possible when you're playing for 60,000 people and you're using a lot of technology and a lot of, you know, M-I-D-I and it's, it's, it's a real thick stew. You know, some of my favorite shows from the night are the ones that Hornsby played on because he's using that acoustic piano to cut through all of that electricity, all that technology. I think uh, we know this a lot, a lot of times the, the, the the dog wagged the tail in the, um, or the tail wagged the dog, how's that go? Yeah, the the tail wagged the dog. Yeah. Um, Um. And and I think that a lot was lost, a lot of the subtlety, a lot. And let's be honest, I mean, they're just not. Some of Garcia's best music, I think, took in the 90s and 80s, took place in a solo band, playing with David Grissman, doing stuff away from his day job. Mm -hmm. So, yes, the Democratic thing to do would be to put the same number of shows for every decade. Um, To me, that didn't suit me as a storyteller. And if your story is different, if the band got better and better and better, great. I mean, I go, you know, I I write about, um, I think, the 86 show. Uh, the Garcias, you know, he came back after his coma and they played Touch of gray to Open. It's very emotional. It's, it's really great. Um, and I talk, you know, I, I talk about a friend of mine who saw about 13 shows at that time. And just what a life-changing experience it was. The people he met, the experiences he had, the whole deadhead ethos, although it was changing. But he doesn't really talk about the music. If he talks about music, he says, let's talk about Europe 72 or, you know, fall, spring of 77 or whatever. It's really not, hey, let's talk about you know, Las Vegas, 93, you know, and I'm not saying it's all bad and, you know, but there's only so much time in the world. And like I say, you know, I want I to listen to a lot of different kinds of music. I mean, there's certain deadheads hits who only listen to the dead. So yeah. Okay. But um, that just seems insane to me. So yeah, instead of listening to an okay show from 92, like I said, I'd rather listen to the new Alice Coltrane reissue I got as opposed to, you know, I'm not a completist that way. Um, I follow my bliss. And to me, as a person who really liked that jazzier sound by '73, '74, '72 as well, um, they're just um, well, it's not just that they're, they're not better. There's just nothing else like it. There's just nothing else like it in the popular music area, you know. Um, so yes, there's there's only there's there's a paucity of shows in the latter years, not because I think they all suck. There's moments. There's always something that DRC is up to, um, but it's a less interesting music to me for a lot of reasons and. That's, you know, that's the beauty of art. People can pick and choose what they want. This is my idea of what the Grateful Dead story is expressed through their 50, well, 51 shows. But to me, I don't need to talk about a lot of shows from 89 because I think there's a certain, you know, they prided themselves by that point of being very dependable. I mean, Garcia says this is the age of the dependable Grateful Dead. Well, those two words don't, dependable and art to me don't, they're, they're kind of antithetical. There's something anomalous there. I like the unpredictability of it. I like the fact that it could all fall apart or they could decide to do something entirely different. I mean, some of the biggest kicks for me, I'm just getting off topic a bit, but you know, you're listening to the headphones and you put it's the beginning of the second set you can hear them joking around before they start. What do you want to do? Well, why don't we, we haven't done that in a while. What don't we do? I mean, I just find that wonderfully. You're not going to, you know, that that that's a whole different um, world from you know tonight we're playing at the Unidome and tomorrow night we're playing at the Sports Dome and um, and there's still the great old good old Grand for Dead and and God bless them but for me musically, seventy um, eight's really the last peak for me and um, I might like to spring a ninety but do I listen to it a lot? No, I don't. And that's the ultimate you know, Brom. Just I just I put the time in in other places, so that's. And if
0: they don't like, they can write their own book, right? You write your own book out of it. That's how it goes, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, Ray. And thank you for writing this wonderful book. I'm going to go next door to the uh, Grateful Deli here in Aspen and hand a copy to the owner as soon. Oh,
1: wow. Yeah, as
0: soon as we're done here. Hope
1: Hope you get a free muffin or something.
0: Oh, yeah, me too. I'm going to tell him you said that. Um, (laughs) Listeners, I've been speaking with Ray Robertson, author of All the Years Combined, The Grateful Dead and 50 Shows, which is published by our friends at Biblioasis. Ray, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thanks for having me, Jason.
0: Once again, I would like to thank Ray Robertson for joining me. Copies of all the years combined, The Grateful Dead, and 50 shows can be ordered from www.explorebooksellers.com with free shipping for members of Explore More Plus. I would also like to thank our sponsors at Libro FM Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local, independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jefferies, and this has been Booking.